From Westside Church in Bend, Oregon, you're listening to Behind the Message. Each week we take you behind what we teach here at Westside. I'm Evan Earwicker, and in studio today we have Pastor Steve Mickle and our guest for the weekend, a counselor who started Water Cup Counseling in Redmond, Oregon, Bill Mankey. Welcome, Bill, to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Very nice to be here. So, Steve, we've been uh, kind of questioning Bill all day long on this stage. This poor, poor man has been <laughs> grilled by all of us, yeah. uh, and then he's got one more service to go after this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a unique, uh, I think, a unique setting to discuss mental health, which is what we're doing this weekend. Uh, we've been getting responses as we go from the church, and uh, people are really, I think, appreciative of um, the fact that we would bring a mental health professional mm-hmm. up on the stage on a Sunday and discuss some issues that have traditionally been maybe taboo to be talked about in church. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of tension uh, in that, even with some of our older folks who have been, mm-hmm. who've kind of grown up in the Pentecostal charismatic movement, which we, we have quite a few of in our church and, and this idea that it's both and it's not yeah. just all demonic, you know, <laughs> it's actually, there's other things happening. Well, and I think it's exciting for the younger people then to say, Maybe I can start sharing my heart, and maybe if that heart includes some woundedness, there'll be some holding around it, even if we can't come to long-term solutions right away, just to be able to be honest and clear. Bill, I'm curious as to uh, why you got into this uh, industry, if we can call it that. Um, what drew you into um, counseling as a profession? Well, this phrase in my heart that kind of sounds like a beer commercial, though, <laughs> one time on the planet, you know, you only go around once. But I was thinking, unique in all of history is this particular lifetime on the planet right now. And I tried a few other things, but I never seemed to be able to get in a space where I could be able to stop and, and just try to understand. Like when Proverbs says that wisdom is on the lips of the person who understands. And then in um, 20 verse 5 out of Proverbs, it also says that wisdom is in the heart of a person and a man of understanding draws it out. And it's so, con- it's, it's so different from the standard counseling idea of, of we, we bring the insights and we add the information, but God clearly says that, that we've got so much wisdom in each person. And so that excited me uh, decades ago, and it thrills me now. And I think I never want to do anything else but this. And I've, I've sat on the couch uh, in your office, Bill, <laughs> and and you're you're an amazing listener. Um, it's one of the I think it's a gift that I wish to um, fan into flame a little bit more in my own life. The ability, the gift of listening to people's story, um, and and out of that drawing. Uh, wisdom, you know, into their lives and their them into in, into mine as well. I find that as I listen, I I get often more than I give. You know, oh, I do too. And there's a sense of being held by some incredibly courageous people who, against cultural norms and you know opposition of things that are called taboos, they they show up and they'll they'll share and. And then they start believing. I call it going from blue to pink, like when I would watch my children come out of the womb, <laughs> kind of that blue color, and then they catch that breath, and I get to watch that. I'm like, man, thanks for the front row seat, God. <laughs> this is cool. And I love, uh, as we're just even have the visual today of you guys sitting side by side, um, yeah. really ministering together from two different sides of 
you know, wholeness as mm-hmm. people. And so often, especially my world has been with youth, young people, there's a sense of, you know, your pastor is the answer in any crisis, any issue that's your go-to. And it's like this incredible weight if you're the youth pastor or whatever, that you have to provide all the answers. You have to provide all of the ministry. You have to do, know everything and do everything and be everything for that kid. Um, and so today to see you guys sitting there acknowledging really that there is things outside of pastoral care that we don't offer. And it's just such a relief <laughs> I think for those of us in ministry to say, hey, we have we have friends and we have people that love Jesus that are actually gifted and have expertise in these areas that maybe we as pastors don't. You know, I wasn't trained in Bible college to do you know any kind of therapy counseling. I, 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 not even to listen. To be honest, I mean, you know, they didn't even teach me how to be with. Um, and 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 so it's limit it's limited my ability and scope. I've had to look beyond myself um, and beyond my upbringing, my education, to find resource and tools uh, to add into my own life for for the people around me. When you think about a good pastor, you think about can they preach? Not are, they're a good listener, you know. <laughs> but pastoral ministry—it's all about the listening, not yeah. so much the preaching all the time. But um, really good. Uh, the some of the comments that were coming in, I wanted to ask about this kind of um, things that I wasn't necessarily comfortable just saying from the stage. Things about uh, sexual addiction, things about um, gender uh, confusion, things like that that are big, huge topics. And it's an interesting thing to do. We do we just throw this out there on a Sunday morning to everybody, all ages, mm-hmm. or are there places and venues to discuss and have deeper discussion on some of these tricky issues without feeling like we're just, you know, oh, that's too hard. We don't actually want to go there because it's just yeah, we don't tiptoeing know. around it. What do you think, Bill? Well, the first phrase out of Scripture says that a good shepherd gives us life, and so we're going to do some uncomfortable things. I think the wisdom is. How can we put it out there that we will walk with you? And and I, I think simply having some what people call neutral ground where there's freedom to share and you know it's going to be sacred. Frankly, sometimes I tell people you can trust me because you can sue me. <laughs> you know, it's like there's a safe place because the law won't let this guy talk. But But then on the other hand, these are important issues and I can't just trivially and quickly – you know, quote a few passages and send them on their way. I, I have some people right now who their first comment was, hey, we're a homosexual couple and we don't want your faith in this. I said, well, it's, I said, I'm in love with Jesus and it's probably going to leak out a little bit, but I, I do promise not to do flannel graphs and things like that. But but then we got to hear each other and by the time we're done and we're still connected, there's, there's weeping and, and joy because they start to realize that their real identity isn't the one they that they think is their identity, something to do with gender or a, a bad habit. If this was on TV, you'd see that I have receding hairline. I, I don't just define myself as, <laughs> hello, my name is Bill and I'm a receding hairline. It's like I'm a, I'm a beloved. I'm a, this, these people that show up in the office are created by a loving God who aches for them. And we find a place to talk about the things that bring them in, and we have to. We have to ask them to coach us at times, but we never lose track of that birth certificate and that identity in Christ that they could have if they don't already have it. And it's interesting, Bill. We've it seems like 
um, gender identity, um, even sexual addiction, these things start to identify us. Mm-hmm. Not, and I don't even think that's it just in the church. I think that's in culture as well, where we are now um, self-identifying uh, in, it, you know, especially in when it comes to gender issues and um, and how does the church engage? I love what you're saying of just like open your heart to these people and mm-hmm. listen to them. Any other wisdom you have for us? Well. We're all designed to have a shepherd, and so we, we can't just excuse it and say that it's not my area. We don't do anything effective in the kingdom apart from the power of the Spirit. And it usually, just about always what I found, it involves stepping into uncomfortable in areas that maybe we haven't been filled with lots of charts and things, but we go there as vulnerable people and to stand and, and hear and to listen and at some level even to identify and say, yeah, we, we don't have a clear understanding ourselves of some of the things, the confusion in our own selves. Um, I've, years and decades later, I'm still not quite figured out why my son died or why, you know, different situations. We all have that story. But I think there's a, um, there's a, there's a calling from Scripture about a fervency of love, which is it feels like you're going through a bunch of bullies to get to somebody you care for. And that's whoever is sitting across from you, no matter how long we've known them. Uh, one of the texts that came in, I'll just read it. said, in the past, I have struggled resenting family members who have suffered from serious mental illness for not taking any personal responsibility for their actions. They have blamed everything on their spirit. Uh, they have blamed everything on their spiritual and chemical struggles. So, how do you resolve that? Um, when people are saying, "Yeah, I have a problem," but not necessarily making progress. I think about Christ when he says, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry to still engage you where you are. That's what comes to mind. And, and I'm, I'm glad that the meds are being taken as needed and, and partnership. And, I, and I, I think I get it, too, when, when somebody isn't getting better, we can, we can tend towards that. Come on, <laughs> we, we've given you prayer and, and God's word and, and, and fasting and psychiatric help and everything out and still there I, I personally just there's some of the larger regrets in my own life was my own exasperation with my father when he, you know and he would fumble around and trip and have you know emotional and delusional stuff just as a result of the meds he was on through parkinson's and and in my my little beautiful world where everything wrapped up nicely out of bible college Dad didn't make sense. <laughs> and so it kind of leads into that area of how can we, are, are we willing to care for those who are trying to help each other? And if we are helping other people, can we let some of those same arms wrap around us in our own weariness and fragile? I heard um, a pastor recently talk about um, being a victim. And he came at it uh, at first like, you know, don't have a victim mindset and this kind of thing. And then all of a sudden he turned the corner and said, but there are victims in this life. We have all been victimized Mm -hmm. by something. And it gave me in that moment, it gave me empathy for those who, um, yeah, who are victims. And obviously we don't want people to stay there. And, but at the same time to have empathy for them, uh, in that place, um, I think, I think that would go a long way. Mm, that's uh, really to good. Wholeness. Help out in a local community, and they're trying to deal with um, 
homelessness in this case. And I look around the table and a lot of guys look kind of like me and drive comparable cars. There's really nobody homeless at the table. (laughs) And so when you talk about empathy, can we bring the hearts of some of these people into the conversation? And if I'm not mistaken, empathy has to do with entering into the brokenness or the pathology of somebody else. And that's vulnerable. That's not my house. Now I'm (laughs) going into some strange ground where I, I might end up confused and and if nothing else you're just being held by god yourself so i think Mm -hmm. empathy is pretty huge yeah and something that is maybe not obvious in our uh i don't know evangelical upbringing empathy i don't know if it plays into it it's more just uh performance (laughs) and uh you know show up make sure you're tithing uh look right Mm -hmm. uh and Invite somebody. Always invite somebody. Yeah. But actually empathize with somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this morning you talked about that landslide that you got caught in and <laughs> and how people didn't analyze and stand around the pit and discuss how you got there. Yeah, what did they do? They got in. Yeah, they, they jumped in and they held. And, and they were even okay with the fact that after all this stuff initially happened, I was screaming. <laughs> they didn't like ask me about my prayer life. It was like, you're hurting. <laughs> And frankly, it was the closest I've been to some of my my family members, were just people stopping and gently helping. And, and we're going to walk through this. I, I, I literally think, I know for myself, I need specific metaphors that remind me to put the things aside and just hold people, whatever that picture looks like. I mean, I think of my own daughter when her big sister fell off a cliff, busted her head, and my four-year-old runs across the creek and throws out her hand, and she says, do you want a lemon drop? <laughs> that was the way she could care. She brought her little piece of candy to her busted-up sister, <laughs> it's like, and she's still that way. Yeah. It's like I always call her my lemon drop. It's like we're not asking for brilliance and how we solve and talk scientifically through a broken head. I've just got a lemon drop for you. <laughs> yeah. and, and I find people, they'll catch their breath because – now we're by our actions not identifying them as that issue. We're saying, yeah, that might be true going on in your life, but but we are available, and and it's not going to be pushy. We want to respect you because of your worth, and not even based on you changing quickly. And I please let's put that aside. It's this whole you got some sort of maternity or paternity leave. <laughs> you got three weeks to deal with something, or. You know, we're going to leave, and we're we're not going anywhere. And we got a lot of comments this morning about that thought of like rushing people through the process, <laughs> or some people that are going through grief feeling like, do I need to wrap this up? What is what is that process in crisis? What is that process in getting healthy? Um, obviously, every situation is different, but we want, I think, naturally. Uh, here's my journey I'm on, and there's the end, and I'm going to get there, but. You guys, I mean, speak to that. That's not how it goes, right? Yeah, that whole end idea kind of makes me giggle. I think, well, <laughs> I want to hum the old song, one of these days and it won't be long. I, I just, <laughs> I'm not there yet myself, nor do I frankly want to be. I think it'd be disrespectful. And I, can we allow for shock? Can we uh, allow for confusion? Can we please allow for grief with God? You don't have to read far in Scripture to see about grief and misunderstanding and a God who's not angry because we don't get it. I mean, I'm not, if I understood God, I would be called, you know, be Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
and Bill. You know, <laughs> hello, here I am. But I don't. And I'm like, please, that's not me. I'm fragile. He knows my frame. I'm dust, and, and he's kind to me. And I think this process is there's a shock going on and it's not necessarily this flowing through shock and then to understanding and then to grief and then to partnership and then writing books where like this is going to hurt and it still hurts and i mentioned earlier today that even three days ago when somebody handed me their baby just to you know whatever popes and politicians do with babies it's like i just like <laughs> I, I gave the baby back went into my office and cried because apparently i'm still not over the death of one of the most important people of my life, and that was my my son, yeah, eighteen years, and so and I refuse to push that, and nor do I think it's helpful to quote um, recover if recovery means we're done, hmm. and that was another life. But I carry the grief with me as a reminder of love, a reminder of resurrection, reminder of the 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 open heartedness of Christ Himself. I, I truly believe that we have a God of a God who grieves. Jesus grieved. And he says, I only do what my father, what I see my father doing. So next week I'm going to um, unpack that word shalom a little bit mm-hmm. um, where where it's the Hebrew word for peace. And I think we often think peace is the antithesis of conflict. If we ha- if we don't have conflict, we have peace. And the, shal- the word shalom is much deeper than that. It's peace in the midst of conflict, mm-hmm. in the midst of the storm. And Bill, that's what I'm searching for. That's what mm-hmm. I'm eager for in my own life is rediscovering peace in like deep, deep in my soul, even mm-hmm. as my emotions rage on, even as yeah. the grief uh, remains, even as the uh, the 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 world continues to spin in chaos. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, you know, as I look at it, it's like I don't understand, you know, <laughs> and where. It, where can I grab on to this peace that passes understanding that Paul talks about, the shalom that God somehow offers in, to us all, even yeah. no matter where we're at, you know? I love that. And I, I mean, that, that scripture out of uh, Philippians 4, 8, where it says the things that are true. Okay, I don't know why, my, in my case, my son died. But frankly, I love this doctrine of disbelief. This thing that says, I refuse to believe that God's love for my son is any less than my own love for my son. You know, and I, you know, and this, this place, and that's true and, and noble and lovely and, and, and that I have a God who, who just holds closely. I, I can't, I got to share with you, a few, year, a few years ago, my daughter went to Nepal and, you know, people are kind of freaking out. She was 14 at the time. I think, well, she, she's living and I was excited. She came back and showed us this picture and, her arms are just wrapped into this lady and this lady around her and they're just laughing deeply. And, and my daughter says, yeah, that lady is just saturated with leprosy. And, and these two people connect. I could cry right now. These two people just connecting from their heart, a little 14-year-old girl. And because of leprosy, I don't know if that lady was 40 or 92, but just like my daughter says, you are a human being. I'm here. And there was breath there, and nobody handed out a track that day. It was just awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, man, I kept, okay, that's a new favorite. <laughs> and I believe that's what Christ had in mind. Come to me with the faith, child, and faith is action. And it doesn't say, you know, um, these five-point outlines to how to get them to a happier place, you know. Mm-hmm. But this, I'm with you. This, 
this presence there. And it's that wrapping around of people in their brokenness. Steve, you said it this morning. You said God isn't disappointed in our brokenness. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably a pretty profound statement, actually, uh, that as we are is where Christ meets us. And so it should be, I think, in the church um, that maybe we're in the process of undoing a lot of perception that uh, people get beat up here a lot because of their brokenness, because of their current state. And so it's a constant battle to get to that place where I'm no longer a target of shame or um, angst from the pulpit or from God. Mm-hmm. I'm not there yet, but someday maybe if I hang out long enough, I'll get through <laughs> this horrible time and get to that place where God approves of me and the pastor accepts me and I'm okay with God. I, you know, And, uh, and man, what a, what a reversal when you actually see the heart of Jesus in yeah. a fourteen-year-old girl oh, yeah. hugging somebody with leprosy, yeah, and she didn't even get her first degree by that time. <laughs> she simply <laughs> noticed it and thought, "Whatever, I'm holding you." And she's frankly the same kid that does it to me, and I need that. And I think sometimes to get the envelopes out and mail some of our our diplomas back and just learn, learn, um, and maybe go and teach ourselves that. That this craving that Abba has just to hold us closely is, is just—it seems so simple, but it, it breathes and brings back that that undescribable. What are you thinking? You have peace, <laughs> and, and it's, it's a miracle. It's absolute miracle of God resurrection. Brennan Manning uh, writes quite a bit about this idea of Abba's child. Mm-hmm. He has a book called Abba's Child. This. It was transformative for me, Bill, reading some of his writings on how how God looks at us, treats us, sees us. Um, it really revolutionized my mm. religion, you know, how I approached God and how I saw myself in my sin and in relationship to him. You know, I think the church is for far too long. We've, you know, sin separates you from God, you know, so be pure and holy. And yet we forget that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So God, Christ has already done that work. So we actually have already there. If we would live there in that place of full acceptance, Mm -hmm. even though we, yeah, we sin and we also have brokenness, you know, things done to us, you know, and all of that. And I, and I just realized that God, is not as concerned about all of that um, that we have yeah. been in the past. He, like you said, Bill, just wants to be with, be with us. Frankly, it, I find myself at one point kind of disappointed that I can't kind of earn it and that I haven't got it figured <laughs> out. And that that he simply wants me to be holdable, and I, I want to know you. That word is so powerful to me anymore. The the withness of God and the. It's the aching hunger to know me, this intimate closeness, all of who I am, and just to be held. And um, that's irresistible. I don't care what time, what title we use when we show up at somebody's office like mine. <laughs> it's like, well, and I watch people just chuck the name tags quickly when they start realizing. Wait a minute, that doesn't like scare you or shatter you. It's like, uh, it's almost like, what else you got? <laughs> because nothing is greater than the Abba's love for us and. And in truth, that's what you asked earlier why I got into this. This is why. I love being able to kind of sit there and watch it happen. Back to that whole idea of birthing happen. And and his faithfulness to me, because I was going to say half the time, but 97% of the time, it's my wife having to watch me birth and realize, 
oh, he's, he's fragile and he's letting me hold him too. And she's giving me permission that I, I refuse a lot of times until my own heart is broken. And I believe that's what we call fellowship at that point. Yeah. Um, so we got one one more discussion left uh, mm. tonight. We're we're sitting here recording right before the last service of the day. Um, what has resonated with you guys throughout these last three times in these discussions? What are those points or mm. that thought that just keeps coming to to your mind as we um, sit with the church and have these conversations? <laughs> these pictures of shoulders going up and breathing. <laughs> it's really cool to watch as I just observe these beautiful people coming and listening and realizing oh I'm, I'm i can go and get partnership and and maybe my act of faith is just allowing that that setting where i've been hurt in the past but i go there again and this time share with people how to care with me and just just watching that that go on and and honestly this is such an unusual topic for church <laughs> i'm sad to say this it's judge on the church in general, I think that this is an unusual topic to bring up, and it needs to be daily. Just, I mean, it's it's part of Sabbath and it's part of solitude, and and for that to happen now and intentionally, it just brings life mm-hmm. and authenticity, and this is the real deal. It's it's not an entertaining day. I was thinking through that, that many times we weigh like, okay, is it gospel truth and is it going to be entertaining enough? Mm, <laughs> Maybe he, not. Was he funny? <laughs> yeah, right. Those are the questions. <laughs> yeah. He made um, me laugh yeah, clever. <laughs> <laughs> when I had that thought, I was like, I think they can handle it. I think the church can handle if it's not a hilarious day, <laughs> yeah. you know. I think yeah. we put so much pressure on it, you know, entertaining the masses and getting them in and getting them out. But like, these are so important uh, moments and conversations and topics to sit in is and it's mm. it's it's I think it's transformative in in people thinking differently about their relationships. You know, um, we don't like to get our hands dirty generally, um, in you know. But if you're going to garden, if you're going to help something grow, you have to you have to get into the into the muck, the mire, the the clay of real life, mm. and it, that means both in our own lives and in the lives of the people around mm. us. And to be willing to go there and enjoy it even. And like, hey, it's going to get a little messy and there's going to be questions we don't necessarily have answers for. And there's going to be truths that we've held on to that might actually, we might end up questioning ourselves after we're done with the conversation, but be willing to go there because we, because mm. people are worth it. Mm. There's um, this you know. guy in Hawaii that I weep every time I think about him and I've never met him. A few years ago, my daughter texted me. She said, I bumped my head. Turns out that she dove into the surf and got eventually 25 stitches. And sorry, but I call it a Gorbachev, this big old V thing. And it's, it's gone. <laughs> Thank you, Abby. You're, you're, you're looking good now. But somebody who didn't even know her saw the wounding, the floundering. And if he didn't put aside his vacation plans or his lack of desire to swim or whatever, she'd be, she'd be dead right now. And he entered into that space. And I watched Christ just... just throwing himself into my space because I've got a lot more than a Gorbachev going on, you know, just as far as my own brokenness before him and this guy putting everything aside and fishing her out and then taking her and, and making sure she was okay. Good Samaritan. And that's what I think we're called to. It's fantastic. Hmm. Heart of the gospel, jump mm-hmm. in the surf, Absolutely. set aside everything else yeah. to pull people out. So good. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to do this 
next week as we do every week. And uh, looking forward to another conversation right. with you, Bill, tonight. Oh, love it. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, great great to have you this week. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Good, good. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Bill.